This week's episode is totally different than what we've been doing. It is the audio of a live broadcast we did on YouTube. Now, with that being said, the audio is not real great, but I want you to listen to the questions and the answers that was given, and I'm pretty sure that there is something that we can all still learn from it. Welcome to the Butcher Barbecue Podcast, world headquarters, Wellston, Oklahoma. The Butcher Turn Pitmaster, your host, David Bosca. My name is David Bosca. I am the pitmaster of Butcher Barbecue. Some of you have seen us on TV. Some of you might be trying to send me a bill because I, I broke your TV. Um, we own a couple different spice companies. One is Butcher Barbecue. We started that in 2007 with uh, spices and injections, barbecue sauce, and that's kind of been our claim to fame. And just uh, um, a couple months ago, we launched a new company called Wild Seasoning. That's it right there. Yeah, I'll get it turned around. Wild Seasoning. Um, that's where we, we've got wild game products. We uh, sell uh, summer sausage, bratwurst, um, uh, spices, some supplies, some casings. Uh, a little bit of history on myself first. I did have, I do have 34 years in the meat business. I retired out of that three and a half years ago. Uh, my son started a restaurant just a couple miles down from where I'm at right now. Um, started competition cooking in 2007 after a 15 year um, career, not career, 15 years of shooting archery. Did that in competition. Um, blew my back out, had to have some surgeries, and just the male competitive juices were still flowing, and got into the competition stuff and just fell in love with it. Um, started selling some of our own stuff, and people liked it, and ever since then, we've been been at it. Uh, I feel that it's a good product. It's brought us a long ways. Um, I, my, my career in the meat business, we had our own meat processing plant there at the very end. But I ran sausage counters, um, retail meat, wholesale meat. Um, we bought and sold. We've done done all kinds of stuff with that. Um, so let's get on to a couple of the questions and ribs. That's kind of been my two. I like beef mostly. Um, my my all-time favorite is probably a reverse sear ribeye. That's I don't think I've ever had a ribeye go bad. Um, yeah, some's probably been better than others. But none of them's been bad. Matt just said tri-tip. Oh, you might have been answering him. For me, I've never been a fan of tri-tip. Um, I'm teaching a class in California, and some guys out there cooked them for us. And I mean, they were fine. Um, I've ate them. I've cooked them all that year. But my goodness, my personal opinion, um, why take a tri-tip when there's a ribeye just right down the little little farther down the animal? So I'll take a ribeye any day. James Henry says, wrap or no wrap? Um, on big meats, I absolutely uh, believe in wrapping. We can get into that real deep and heavily. Well, heck, let's just do it. I'm a firm believer in wrapping, um, and it doesn't matter with what. Um, I do sell and I do have the pink butcher paper. It does its job. I am uh, a believer in the foil wrap also, but what you have to do is not wait too late to wrap. Um, let's get into a little bit of, let's just start with beef. Um, the process when beef is cooking is it takes moisture to start steaming within that muscle. Okay. And while it's cooking, 
the uh, the moisture starts dissipating out of it in the cook chamber. So what you have to do is the old stall method. A lot of people say, well, about 170, my meat stalled out and I couldn't hardly get it to, to keep cooking. Well, what's happened is the reason it's called the stall is it does stall in the cooking process, but you have already dried out the meat. Moisture starts dissipating from the muscle fibers at about 145 to 150 degrees. So if you continuously wait another two to three hours and wrap your meat at that point, it, you, you've cooked almost all the moisture out of it. So there's a greater chance you're going to have a drier, more flaky meat. Um, not as desirable as what you could be getting. So I'm a firm believer in wrapping a lot quicker. Um, I like wrapping. My, my goal in brisket is about 152 degrees. I can always get in a pellet smoker a great bark by that time. Um, everything's gotten the, 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 the it's built up. The sugars have already melted. Um, so I'll wrap at that point. I do add just a little bit to my wrap. Uh, what I like to do is when I wrap, when I unwrap from a brisket before, I save that au jus down in there and I grease separate it, toss the grease, and then that the au jus in there, I, I save it. And if I'm not going to cook for a couple weeks, I just put it in a simple water bottle and throw in the deep grease, pull it out, and then I usually put about six, eight ounces in the bowl with it. And I call it my sourdough recipe. So I'm all the time having brisket from the previous briskets in there. Um, that's the reason I call it a sourdough. I get all the, the, the good stuff, the, the rub, the smoke, um, everything, all the, all the rich essentials that you want in a brisket, I'm pouring back into the current brisket I'm cooking. So it just gets a little richer over time. Um, so when you're wrapping, I'm a firm believer in wrapping, like I said, about 150, 52, 45 is not too early. But you better have a lot of airflow when you're wrapping that quick, um, or you're not going to have any bark at all. You know, it's going to be real mushy still. It, it it all has to do with airflow and heat. Um, for me, um, 152 seems to be a great number for pork butts and brisket. But we're talking brisket here. Um, what you'll have to remember then is in beef and well, American beef and everything the fat actually starts dissipating or, or melting out of the meat at about 175, 172 degrees. With that going on, uh, I know there's a lot of people say, fat side up, fat side down, what's your preference? Um, I'm not a fan of picking the fat up and say, well, it's gonna melt and get down into the meat. Well, by the time that meat's cooking, that fat hasn't started melting yet. It doesn't start melting until 170. Those cell structures have already sealed off. Okay. So what you're going to, what you're finding is going to happen is, is from 170, that the, the true, how can I say this without it getting crazy on the, on the um, comic side, um, the tenderizing aspect of meat, when, when actual muscle fibers start breaking down, it's between 170 and 195, okay? The longer you stay in that process to continue breaking the meat down, the drier it's gonna get. So, but the longer you stay in it, the lower finishing temperature you're gonna need. So if I'm staying in that, let's say the old traditional low and slow, 225, 6, 8, 10 hours, um, 
and it's about 175 degrees and it takes another four or five hours to get to 195. Well, that's a good pulling temperature probably because you've been in that breakdown, the, the connective tissue breakdown for a long time. If you're cooking the newer, more modern, hot and fast method, and you hit that 170 and you're gonna string through it in an hour and a half, two hours, you probably need to get on up at about 205 degrees. Um, and that all has variance, um, how you aged it, the, the, the greater the meat. But a good, good starting point is gonna be 205 because you screened through it. Um, so your connective tissues, it, it's gonna take still the same amount of time to break down, but your finishing temperature is gonna to need to be higher because you didn't spend as much time in the 170, 195. All that being said, if you're gonna hold your meat for any length of time afterwards, a good thing to remember is the muscle, the meat, the brisket, the pork butt, uh, the ribs, it doesn't know that if the temperature is going up or going down. So a good thing to, to remember is if you're going to pull that brisket at 205, you're going to put it in an ice chest, a cambro on top of your counter or something like that. Remember, as it goes to cool down, it's still breaking down connective tissues. It's still above the 195. It's still in that, that breakdown. So if it takes another hour and a half to uh, get on down to, say, 195, you've got an extra hour there that you might not have been ready for. So there's a good chance your brisket's going to come out mushy or overcooked. So keep that in mind that if you plan on holding it for a longer time, pull it just a little quicker and let, let the steaming effect inside there still work. Um, all that being said, now let's go to a, a quick step on where do I slice it? What's the best time frame? Brisket in particular is a lot like a steak. Let it rest before you, you slice it. Uh, well, I would hazard, well, what we will say, and this is what it is, as, as the brisket is cooking, I told you the moisture in there, it dissipates and it kind of goes out in the, the cooking chamber. Okay, so in essence, let's just say that moisture, that water, the juices is a live item inside this brisket. Um, where's the coolest spot? If you're in this big hot cooking chamber and the outside layer of that meat is getting hot, where's the coolest spot for that uh, water? It's gonna be inside that middle. So the longer that it takes for that to get to the same temperature, you're going to keep cooking moisture out. So if you can screen through it a little quicker, say a five to seven hour brisket cook, then as you go to slice it, have you ever sliced a brisket and you cut into it and your cutting board is just full of great looking juices and you say, oh my gosh, this brisket's just as juicy as I've ever had. And five minutes later, it's not that good. It's kind of dry and it's kind of chalky tasted. Because when you sliced it, where's the coolest spot now? It's that open face. So all those juices flowed right out. So let your brisket cool down to 175, 165, then slice it and it'll stay within the rest of that muscle because it doesn't have a, it's not going from 190, 95 to room temperature at 70. And it just flew right out. So keep that in mind. I know that's kind of a quick tangent on cooking a brisket, a few little things like that, but 
um, the question was up there, and hey, I'm good at get going down a fox rabbit hole there real quick. So, anyway, I just wanted to go over that. Let me scroll down this, and then we'll go to answering some other questions. That is the rapper, no rap. Um, have you always been a pellet guy? Um, if not, what brought you over to the dark side? Well, in competition, I've always been a pellet guy. Um, the reason I started with pellets was in our meat shop. We had some big Southern fried smokers. That's what we did all of our hams and our bacon and our summer sausages and everything like that in it. And so when I found my first pellet smoker, um, th th there wasn't much difference. Um, cooking was about the same. It was a big square stainless chamber. So I just went directly into pellet cooking for competition. Um, my dad's a, a, sorry, hat was a bricklayer. Um, where I was raised at, just about five miles down the road. Um, we had off-fit smoke there. Dad bricked up a great big, and we, we've been cooking with wood forever. Um, so that, that's that's not a big deal. Charcoal, wood, I'm not scared of any of it. We cook on it all the time. On my front porch is, is a pellet grill and a Weber. Um, got a couple drum smokers, had a Jambo. Um, I've had, had all of it. Um, preference is pellet cooking. My personal reason for it is I think smoke is just a flavor and how you add it to the meat, when you add it to the meat, is very important. So I like the mellowness of the smoke because I like the flavor of meat. Um, I don't like creosote. I'm not a fan of the, the over-smoked food. Um, so I've always stuck with um, pellets. That's how I got to the dark side. Hey, Daniel, welcome. Glad you made it. Sandy, how you doing? We need to choose between a ribeye and a tri-tip. Um, you can have both. Well, yeah, I can. That's right. That's the beautiful thing about it. But if I have my preference, I'm going to buy a do a ribeye. Porterhouse, number one ribeye, top butt. Yep, porterhouse is good. No problem with that. If you get a true porterhouse, you have to remember the actual definition of a porterhouse is where the filet is two and three quarters in two and one quarter inches in diameter, and it's going to be in the first three to four inches cut off the short loin, closest to the sirloin, not down the loin end. So keep that in mind. Some people are selling great big T-bones as porterhouses, and they're really not. Boiler paper. Um, Jack, we went on that just a little bit, but at the house, I'd say 95% I'm cooking with foil. I do do a little bit of paper, but most time it's foil. Yeah. What's well, a good combination of your rub, injection, sauce for a new competitor to use a brisket in the KCBS competition and do well? Brandon, thanks for the question. It's not brain surgery. Don't overthink it. I think it goes a little bit in part with what you're going to buy. Uh, if you're going to cook a choice or a prime grade brisket um, and or even some of the lesser grade Wagyu briskets, um, I like the prime injection. No doubt, prime injection. And then I like a thin layer of my grilling addiction. And this, the, the, I put a second layer on top and 90% of the time it's premium rub, but our uh, private label, I'm sorry, private seasoning is really good on it also. Um, so e e either one of those is good on top, but definitely put the grilling addiction and then that. If you're going to cook one of the more higher-end Wagyu briskets, uh, I'm not a fan of the prime brisket injected in it. I like the original brisket. I don't want to start changing the flavor of that meat. I want it to be exactly what it is. I want the Wagyu flavor to shine through, 
So I'd go with the original if I want to get one of the better briskets um, on the Wagyu world. Uh, told you high wrapped, told you that a while ago. Um, so smoke, uh, I'm a preference. I like a hickory or a pecan. I, in the last two years, I've been using pecan pellets. That seems to be been my favorite for, for big meats. Hope that answers your question. If not, ask something down a little later, Brandon. Um, so I get you to mention sourdough. So I, I could do your sourdough method with my ribs. Sounds phenomenal. Hey, Daniel, thanks, bud. I like a very savory rib. Um, yes, the go-to thing right now is sweet ribs. Um, that's not my favorite. Um, yes, we've done them in competition for years, but if I'm cooking, man, I'm going good old savory rib. I like that. Um, dry or wet rub for pork, one, not a tender one, great. Um, as recommendations for rub flavor. Hey, Matt, John, thanks for the question. Um, I, I do like a, a dry rub on uh, pork loin. Uh, I am a fan of our cherry rub and our pecan rub. Both of those are great on pork because pork is such a delicate meat. Um, it really absorbs it. It's a lot like chicken in that world. It absorbs flavors very quick, um, especially since you not shouldn't be cooking a pork loin to a very high temperature. If you want to keep it uh, moist, don't, don't, don't be taking it up 175. Um, keep, keep it down 145, 155. Um, but those two have been my favorite two rubs. Uh, when it comes to pork butts, that's different. I'm a lot more intermuscular fat and marbling, but on a good lean pork loin, I do like the pecan rub and the cherry bone. Uh, man, love you saying this is about fat rendering into the meat. So many people want to argue that. Yeah, I agree, uh, Matt. Yeah, it's, I didn't elaborate on this, but when they ask me fat up or fat down, which one do I do? I always answer, where's your air coming from? Protect your meat with your fat. Let the, if your airflow is coming from the top and hitting your meat, okay, put your fat up and let it protect the meat. If your heat is coming from the bottom, put your fat on the bottom and let the heat hit that and save that meat from drying out. So that's 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 a good way to I always answer if they ask fat up or down. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter my method of cooking. I'm going to use it to protect the meat, not allowing it to soak in is my way I, I know it happens. Joyce, let's see. Is it true putting meat on a pellet smoker when it's cold allows more smoke absorption and creates a larger smoke ring than a room temperature meat? That's a dual question. Let's start with um, putting the meat on cold. I absolutely believe in putting meat on cold. Meat absorbs smoke, okay, between 90 and 140 degrees. So the colder it can stay, more smoke is going to get before it starts in on 90. The outer surface is going to start collecting the smoke. And what you have to remember is when pellets are cooking, okay, there is a, just a tad of moisture and there shouldn't be more than 15% of your moisture content in your pellet, okay? If so, we need, you need to look at changing pellets. But what the, the uh, bark bark is is it is melted sugars it's your rub it's all that but it's that some of that can be critisoak and that's when your your fire is not burning correctly and you you you've all seen the super thick black um bark on on meat and two hours later you're still eating it that 
That's that's you do what it is. It's burning the carbon dioxide in the air and it's settling on the meat. So you're eating CO2. What what basically it is. So putting it in cooler does help the meat absorb more smoke because it's in in that time frame longer. Um, and does it create a larger smoke ring? That's a good question because it takes CO2 to make a smoke ring. Okay. If you're using an electric smoker, you can't get a smoke ring in it. If you're using a pellet smoker, sorry, an electric smoker or a gas grill and adding smoke to the side, you're not going to get enough CO2 in the big long chambers to absorb into the smoke or into the meat. Uh, but with pellets, you can, if you do keep it down moderately, if you're trying to smoke at 300 degrees, um, 280 or, or larger, with pellets, generally, it's using 100% of that pellet, the BTU of that pellet, to stay hot, to burn it off to get the temperature. So you're not getting any CO2 burn out of it because it's trying to use it for heat. As it is um, at a lower temperature, the more of that pellet will fall in there and start to smolder, which will cause the CO2 buildup in your chamber. So you can get it with a uh, pellet, you just have to understand how the machine works. Hope that answers your question, Joyce. Smoke is seasoning. Absolutely smoke is seasoning. And it's uh, how much smoke you want in it and when do you want to impart it into your meat. That's a big part. You can put it in on the front side, put it in on the back side. There's tons of different methods, but smoke is a flavor. That's a great, great point, Matt. Uh, Dave, thanks for your time. And it, man, Steve, I appreciate it. Um, I don't mind at all telling anybody anything I do. I remember the very first class I went to teach, a person locally right here we compete against every day, he called me and says, hey, do you have a problem with me coming to the your class? I said, absolutely not. I say more the merrier. If you, if you come into my class and then you start beating me with it, I just need to be a better cook. Because if we're cooking the same recipe and you're out cooking me, that ain't good. I need to be a better cook. So I've, I've always been about passing on my knowledge, teaching people everything, explaining things, the whys and how comes, not just um, because it doesn't. I want people to understand why it's doing something, how come it's doing something. And like I say, if we're going to meet out on the circuit, you beat me, I'm going to be the first one to shake your hand. How do you address the stigma that pellets are lazy or even cheating? Well, I'm assuming you're talking about in competition. Um, there ain't nothing lazy about it. Uh, the pellet cooker itself, the pellet cooker did not pick my meat up for me. It did not trim it. It did not tell me when to inject it. It does not tell me how much or what rug to put on it. It didn't even tell me when to put it in. All the pellet cooker's doing is running a fire. Okay? That's it. It doesn't tell me when to baste it, um, um, bring it off, wrap it. When it's done, how to slice it, it does one job. Run the smoker. So that's my comment to all those folks. Um, I've done only one brisket on my um, pellet grill. I was a newbie to pellets. Uh, bark was not to my expectations as I was used to an old Weber kettle. I've been nervous of doing another brisket on the pellet. Any tips to achieve a desired bark? Yeah. It's not hard. It's not brain surgery. You just have to dedicate maybe one or two more steps, okay? Um, Daniel, I'm going to assume that you probably wrapped if you didn't get bark. 
if you did not wrap, how about an hour and a half before you go to uh, pull it off, put some brown sugar across the top. The sugar will melt and give you a great bark. Um, put another layer of rub on it, uh, put the sugar on top of it. That will create a real beautiful bark for you. If you did wrap, before you slice it or anything, open it up, let the steam go away, but then let that bark set back up. Put it back out on your grill for about 15 to 20 minutes. That bark will set right back up and you'll have all you need right there. Hope that answers your question, Daniel. Best way to smoke a leather thigh quarter. Uh, I like high heat. Um, I inject my chicken. Um, I'm not a fan of brining. Um, we'll inject it and um, dry smoking it. What I call dry smoking it right on the grate. Um, take your chicken to about 175 degrees um, on that uh, leg and thigh, like that joint to snap pop, and uh, you'll have a great chicken jack. Sorry, I'm trying to get into smoking and trying to understand the concept of making our own rubs. What typically are the best ratios for rub making with sugar and other spices? Okay, most rubs, um, Eric, whenever um, you start out with, you can kind of start with equal parts of salt and sugar. Um, that's a great start. Then start adding um, other dried items, uh, paprika, then you can get your celery, your, your garlic, um, some different, if you like lemon zest, um, a little bit of cinnamon can, can, can bring it up alive, but salt is a good flavor enhancer. Um, but I'd start with stuff like that and get good product. Um, you can go to the store, not, not a non, um, you want a non-iodized salt, um, first off. I'm not a fan of beet sugar. I like cane sugar, that's big and important. Um, but get real good spices, uh, black pepper, and learn your different peppers. Um, you got your black pepper, high-end grade black peppers, fresh crushed black pepper, um, you got white pepper, um, and all those hit your palate at different times. Um, like white pepper, it, it, it comes on later in the, in the eating process. So if you like uh, the flavor of pepper, put some black pepper, then if you like a little heat to, to linger in, um, go with some white pepper. If you like uh, pepper, if you like the heat snap right up front and everything, jalapeno, habanero, go with those items that are right up front. Um, if you're doing fish, um, herbs are real big, dried herbs, um, um, things of that nature, that's really good on seafood. Um, hope that helps. Favorite jerky recipe. Um, Beef jerky, I like a medium to a mild flavor. I'm not a teriyaki, not a sweet beef jerky person. I don't have one particular that I can just dish it right off the top of my head. Um, we used to make a lot, of, well, a little bit of jerky in the meat shop. We didn't make a lot, but we did make a little bit and everything. Uh, I don't have anything right off the top of my head. I have been playing with some of our wild seasoning um, summer sausage recipes and using some of those as beef jerky just seeing how they turn out. Pork loin question again, trim the fat or smoke it with, oh, when it comes to pork loin, I like the fat. Um, I leave it on, absolutely, yeah. Prepared jerky is my, oh, pepper jerky. Yeah, now I, I like black pepper. Jack, for us, we know where we're at and everything. I like rouse, rouse, rouse got great jerky. Any tips for cooking salmon? Yeah, salmon is really easy to cook. A very delicate piece of meat. Um, I do like brining my uh, salmon. Um, the salt, sugars, and man, this sounds crazy, but I add a little Coca-Cola to it. Um, 
that does that goes a long ways. I'll, I like grinding at a minimum of 12 hours. Um, you can use a brown sugar if you don't if you like that, um, but I kind of get that through the Coca Cola, and I, I'm a huge fan of, of adding a little bit of uh, smoke to it on the front side, then um, heating it up and, and taking that salmon to about 155 degrees. Then what I do is I will, while it's still sitting in the smoker, I'll take a spicy bar or chipotle barbecue sauce and I'll blend it with um, real maple syrup and I'll just cover the top of it and just the spiciness and the real maple sweetness and just let it just cook right in. And it doesn't take 15 minutes and it's done. I'll pull it and and slice it off and, and eat it that way. But that's kind of my favorite um, salmon. I have plant cooked it on the Weber, um, but smoking it, that's that's kind of my favorite. How do you prep? prep your ribs um i'm assuming you're talking about rubs and sauces and or rubs and all that um i i am a i love our honey rub i put that on first and then i've been putting our sweet chipotle on second i'll do that about two hours before i cook them and that's pretty well it um we do trim them down uh, when it comes to competition i cook st louis cut spare ribs, uh, peel the membrane off on the back. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of anything special on ribs. Clean it up on the front side, get rid of any major pieces of fat. I don't want that um, sticking through. I, I'm not a, a mustard person on the, the ribs. Have I done it? Yeah, I've done it. Um, but that's just not my, my go-to thing. I, I, I do spritz a little water because on the ribs because what you have to remember about any of the spices we put on it, like my brisket and my butts and all that, that sets overnight. So it's got time to get into the meat. Um, but on ribs, um, like I said, I only like spicing them a couple hours before I cook them. And all these spices that we're using, it's dehydrated products. It's dehydrated garlic, celery, paprika. So it takes a little bit to rehydrate or can soak into the meat and start the flavoring in. So I spritz it real lightly with water so that it doesn't pull the moisture out of the uh, top layer of the meat, but it can start uh, going to uh, liquid itself and soaking into the meat. I do do that. Um, hope that answers your question. Do you have any barbecue mentors? Absolutely, I do. When I got started cooking competition barbecue, um, I, I stayed here in Oklahoma mostly. Um, there, was, there was definitely some, some guys here on board um, in Oklahoma that I – absolutely look up to, still looked up to, uh, I, I'm sorry, still look up to, um, in no particular order, Donnie Till, Buffalo's Barbecue out of Sperry, Oklahoma. Um, Paul Schotte, um, he used to be one of the co-owners of Head Country. He owns his fixing to, could be, don't know the actual answer to that, are opening up his own sauce company. Um, he's out of Ponca City. Um, Mark Clark out of Stillwater, Oklahoma, Twin Oaks Smoking. Um, those three were my main gentlemen that I looked up to when I got started cooking. They were the godfathers for Oklahoma barbecue and still are. Joe Davidson was around. He had already quit competition cooking, so I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him. Um, but those other three, um, great guys, um, will definitely work with any, any newcomers in the business. Uh, we were... I was honored, totally honored back four years ago. I got inducted into the Oklahoma Barbecue Hall of Fame and 
those guys went into the same class with me, or I'm sorry, I went into the same class with them. And so, man, I mean, the honor was just, I was beside myself. Those guys have been cooking since the mid nineties. And here I went in with them and, and it was quite humbling to be standing there beside them all. Um, is Myra Mixon as big of a jerk as he seems on TV? Jack, that's probably one of the most asked questions. No, he's not. He is a great guy. Um, as they talk about in TV, be yourself, but multiply it eight or 10 times. And that's just his personality. Um, he is up front, and I think he's been in it so long, he he gets put off quickly with stupidity. And But, no, he's a great guy. I've been at comps with him before, and I've seen him on the outside of his trailer almost forget about a chicken turn-in or a rig turn-in or something because he's signing autographs and shaking hands with kids. Now, uh, Myron's a great guy, great guy. Does any cut still um, intimidate you a little or you just avoid smoking it? Matt, I can't say intimidate me. That's a great question. I read that for to come in with. Um, but I, I don't cook a lot of seafood. You know, here in Oklahoma, we're kind of landlocked. If we ain't got catfish or, or something like that, it, it's hard to cook. So there's not a lot of fresh fish here. I spent a couple of years up in New England, and I did eat a lot of really nice fish up there. But I don't cook a lot of fish. Uh, so say intimidation, I'm not going to say intimidation, but I would say when it comes to cooking something like that, the fish, it's, it's the right stuff to pair with it to make it taste right, to come out. That's what I would say would be the worst thing for me for cooking. Uh, ever done a pizza or a calzone? I've done pizza. Never done a calzone on, a, on that. Uh, but, yeah, I absolutely love thin crust pizza on, on, on a fire, fire grill. Had some, I was teaching a catering and restaurant class back in July, and um, we, we, we had some fire roasted piece, pizza up there for the class for everybody to eat. That was really good. How would you smoke a top sirloin cap? Um, slow, slow. Um, I take it to about 135 degrees to 140. Um, and actually on the cap, what I would do, I'd probably jacquard it once very lightly and kind of go ahead and cut some of those, uh, muscle texture down the connective tissues in the muscle fibers. And that helped make it a little more tender and allow you to pull it a little quicker flavors, treat it like a good steak. That's all it needs. How far in advance do you inject your pork butts? Um, at the house, whenever I got time. If if I have to do it on, say I'm gonna cook on Friday, if I have time Thursday, middle of the day, I'll inject them. Um, if I have to wait, do Wednesday night, fits into my schedule, won't hurt a thing. Uh, in a competition, I inject um, my brisket first, then I inject pork butts, and that's at noon. And then they don't even go into the next morning. So they'll set 12, 14 hours at a contest. You mud. Brandon, that, that, that has been asked every time that TV show airs. I get an email about that. What, where's barbecue mud? Can I buy it? Um, at this point, we're not releasing it. We're not putting it out. We're not even going to speak of it because somewhere down the road, I might put it out there. But, um, it's, it's really good. It's really good. Just right now, it's, it's not the right time for it. Yeah. What's the deal with mustard on ribs? Um, two, two things, really. Uh, it does rehydrate the, the rubs like I was talking about, but um, people call it a binder. It, it gets in between the meat and the spice, 
And as the mustard in there, as it goes to cook and dry a little bit, it leaves that rub in, in, in spot and it doesn't roll off or, or run off. So it cooks it right on. So it does help with that. Um, personally, um, I've done it two or three times. I, I didn't think anything special out of it, but did it help? I, yeah, I think it did just a little bit, but not enough to warrant me to change my other method. What simple advice or nugget for wisdom do you have for anyone thinking about getting into competition barbecue? Um, take up tennis. No, I'm joking. Um, when it comes to competition barbecue, simple, couple simple things. First thing is just before your, a couple weeks before your first cook off, go out to your driveway, do everything you need in your driveway. Everything you have to run back into the house for, write it down. Got to remember to take that. And as you go to put it back in your garage, everything you didn't use, get rid of it. There's no sense in taking it. Streamline your whole process and it'll make it easier. The next thing is, if you don't do it in, a, in the super, if you don't do it in practice, don't do it in the Super Bowl. And what I mean by that is, if you haven't practiced cooking high-end meats, don't buy one just for a cook-off and go cook. The higher-end meats cook different. So if you if you have perfected cooking a prime-grade brisket, why do you want to change and go to a cook-off? It's going to cook at a different temperature. It's going to change everything. So cook what you've got. The, the, the trick to competition cooking is getting it cooked perfect. Flavor is very important. But if you've got an undercooked or overcooked piece of meat, it changes your outcome. But if you've got a perfectly cooked piece of meat, you can add some flavor right there at the end with some finishing rubs, some salt, some pepper, different things like that will zest up a flat flavor, but it can't get it cooked right. So cook your meat correctly and exactly the way you know how, then get your flavor to it at the very end. But my biggest thing is just that, cook what you can afford. Don't 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 think oh I've got to go buy the the um, um, high end Japanese beef or, or the private label pork for this or, or anything like that. If you don't cook it at home, don't don't cook it in a competition. Don't don't start out doing that. You're going to be sadly upset with yourself and say I cooked a 200 piece of meat. It wasn't that good. It wasn't that good because you didn't know how to cook it. It does cook different. Um, let's see. Favorite football snack cooked on a smoker. Oh, I love that one. That's a great one. I I, I, I can't say I, I am a old tried and true traditionalist and everything. I, I am a fan of uh, uh, bacon candy and uh, uh, peppers. Man, I don't think you can go wrong with any of that. I I am oh, I love just grilled vegetables. So if I if I've got an opportunity and we've got squash or anything like that at the house, I love I love grilled vegetables. Yeah. Here's another little nugget, a little something for you. Um, we always when we're explaining to people to how to cook, where do I put my meat? You know, a lot of people don't realize that put it on the front and the back of where you put your meat in your chamber makes a big important part is the next time you cook if you moved it it's changed your whole cook. The more you put in there, the, the quicker things get cooked. So I know a lot of y'all are going to know about this, but there's always new meat, so I want to talk about it. Um, the biscuit test. Um, I know someone's going to know, but 
just go out to the store and get some those cheap pop biscuits. Um, get you a couple dozen of them. Place them throughout the grate. Get your smoker hot. Put them on the grate. Scatter them throughout the whole thing. Check them. Close your lid. Check in about 10 minutes, and you're going to see some biscuits dark brown. You're going to see right in the middle maybe just golden amber, and then some of the others might not even be brown at all. Make note, write it down where they were hot, where they weren't. That's your hot spots on your grill scattered throughout it. Um, so you can learn learn your spots. And then if you're going to cooking, and all of a sudden you've got company coming over and you're not done, think back, where was that biscuit? Did it get overcooked at? I can set my meat over in that area that's hotter to cook on. I can get it done in time to where we can all go sit in and drink some ice tea and watch football game. But so you can learn your cooker with those cheap biscuits. There's not a downside. You can always put some honey on them, need them. But um, so so no biscuit test. That, that's always a, a fun one to teach people and, and explain why they can do it so that so that while they are cooking, if something's not done or let's say they're doing um, uh, something a little denser, let's say some some uh, asparagus needs to be a little hotter in an area versus something a little more delicate. Um, and that way you can get done about the same time, can come off. So things like that. that that's always a good one. What advantages, if any, does your butcher training give you in competition? George, when I got into competition cooking in um, 07, um, I never thought that I could get into this competition ahead of anybody, but I was hoping that I could get into it equal with other people that were already in it. And I felt like it did that. Um, I think understanding muscle structures, um, knowing certain cuts, especially on some of the different TV shows, when they give us a live fire challenge or things of that nature, people didn't understand the, like a, a tough cut versus a, a medium cut. I mean, all the muscles, um, it's, it's, it's just that it's a muscle. The more it's used, the, the tougher it's going to be. Um, there's different methods of that. If you think about that, it's called a, uh, gosh, I just drew a blank and, uh, an A muscle and a B muscle. I, I, I think that's right. And what that is, it's either a reactive muscle or it's an active muscle. An active muscle, if you think about it, um, is let's just take um, a duck. Um, an active muscle on a duck is a neck and its feet. It's active, it's always moving, but a reactive muscle is whenever it gets danger, the first thing it does is wanna take off flying. So it's breast meat on a duck is a dark meat. That's where the blood can flow very fast and very quick for a reaction to take off and to survive. That's the same way on a cow, on a, a horse. Um, the reactive muscle is the back leg. That's what would be classified the dark meat. Uh, it's a tougher piece of meat because it's used a lot, but it is the reactive muscle because that's what they'll kick with. Um, chicken, same way. Different animals have uh, uh, dark cells and, and, and light cells, and that's that's the purpose of it. But that's some of the different advantages like that. Not a lot of people understand that can get into, but uh, myself, um, it does assist in, at times. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. That's the end of this podcast. This is usually where the 
voices will come on and tell you to subscribe and do all that. But it was so loud compared to how the audio was on this. If it came up, it would just blow your speakers away. So we appreciate you listening and putting up with this audio.